Welcome listeners to Connect the Dots. I'm Allison Rosevi, and I'm here with you every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. Each week on Connect the Dots, we connect the dots between you, your community, and your personal well-being, our social well-being, and everything that's going on in our greater society as well as on planet Earth. It's a pretty big portfolio all the way from the individual to the collective. Uh, this show is now in its 10th year, and I am a longstanding journalist of the environment, health, media, popular attitudes, food, public policy, and politics, of course, comes into it too. And it's just been a great joy and pleasure over the years to be with you listeners as we engage in candid conversations with our terrific roster of experts and authors, filmmakers, advocates, economists, um, you know, poets, uh, fellow journalists, uh, about all of the different factors in our interconnected world that make up well-being on an individual, social, and planetary level. Um, today we have a returning guest um, who is actually somebody who has been one of our repeat guests on the show and, uh, you know, and whose topic or whose area of focus has only grown in importance um, since the time that we first talked on the show uh, back in 2016. Uh, and now that here we are in another election year, I am so glad to welcome back uh, Lulu Friesat, uh, as well as, you know, kind of the topic, which at the time when we did our first show together, uh, the topic being election integrity, uh, the safety and accuracy of our votes, um, was underappreciated, I think. The topic was underappreciated, and I kept beating the drum, and people were like, uh, oh, is this important? I'm not really sure why. Uh, and now I think it's a talk. <laughs> people are, you know, you know, are thinking a lot more about it. I think Lulu is basically probably one of my most frequent guests. I think you've been on maybe Lulu four or five times. Lulu Freestat is a journalist and documentary filmmaker whose election security investigations have received over 4 million views and been featured in Politico, The Hill, Now This, MSN, The Young Turks, Truth Out, Salon. Uh, it goes on and on. Over the course of a more than 10-year career in network news, she's had assignments with NBC, CBS, Nightline, and contributed to an Emmy Award-winning programming at ABC. Oh, Lulu, you've got such a long media resume. Um, my upcoming next article is going to be uh, another one of my media coverage topics, and I have to make sure you see it. <laughs> Uh, we, you know, we share this media background, although you're I'm in independent media entirely, and Lulu does really interesting work stepping between mainstream programming and independent production. Her first documentary, Hollerback, Not Voting in an American Town, uh, was featured as part of a group of thoughtful and provocative films being made by women. She is co-founder of Smart Elections. And guess what, folks? Today we are going to be talking about election integrity, the integrity of the vote, with um, our expert and my friend, Lou Freistek. Welcome back to Connect the Dots, Lou. It's so great to be here with you, Allison. I love the work that you do. It's so important. Well, you know, it's, the thing about the vote uh, in, you know, in all of 
the work you do in our conversations about it over a number of years is it's something you take for granted until it isn't there. Um, after we had election integrity issues in the 216 New York primary uh, is when I woke up to the problem. There was, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people were bumped off the voter rolls without explanation, and I began looking around saying, who are the people that know about this? You uh, proceeded, you were basically one of the people that I most strongly connected with. You proceeded to produce uh, important independent investigative research into, you know, kind of unpacking what was going on in that mysterious black box behind the screen where we all trust that our votes will be recorded, kept, and counted, and yet, you know, there have been a lot of problems. Uh, after that particular primary, I was very concerned about California. And here we are, you know, four years later, um, coming up very soon to Super Tuesday, where there will be another California primary. Uh, we just had, at the recording of this show, um, two caucuses in one primary, Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, and Nevada. And, uh, you know, w once again, the thing that we take for granted and you know, if Hume is going to be working well, namely, you know, the voter collection, you know, tabulation of our votes, um, has been questionable and problematic. Um, you know, so so let's talk about that. I think that's where, you know, it's kind of a big, hey, what happened here? I'm sorry. I had some problems with my, with the audio just now. Can you just repeat that question? Are you having trouble hearing me? Just now it went into music for a minute. Yeah, okay. But up till then, were you able to? Okay. All right. How is it sounding now? It's okay. Okay. Um, I didn't want to do it on this phone, but we are. Um, okay, let me pose. So, I mean, I guess the question now is that with the... Um, you know, what recently happened, we just had, well, okay, one, two, three. We just had our first three key votes in the current Democratic primary, two caucuses, one in Iowa, one in Nevada, as well as a primary vote in New Hampshire. And what we tend to take for granted, trust and hope will always be there functioning uh, correctly, accurately, uh, reliably, namely the collection and tabulation of our votes, um, was highly problematic in the very first uh, caucus that we had in the Democratic primary, and that is Iowa. Can you um, share with our listeners from your perspective what went on there and what our takeaway lessons are? I think what we're finding, especially in these first three elections, as you said, caucuses and primaries, is that we don't really have the level of transparency that we need to have confidence in the vote count. And the lack of transparency comes through in different ways. So for example, in Iowa, they have these math worksheets and they're actually not releasing the math worksheets. So the New York Times did a study of the results and they found that in about 10% of the 1700 precincts, there were math errors. And those errors might've included awarding delegates that didn't actually exist, like a, a precinct awarding more delegates than they had, or calculating the way that the delegates were assigned incorrectly, having 
somehow added in voters to the second alignment. There were all these different strange problems with the map, but because the primary is run by a political party, not by a neutral, nonpartisan administrator, the process is really very closed. And for example, like all those work math worksheets, they're not up on the web where people or candidates could go and look at them and do the math themselves and say, yes, I have confidence in that process. So we're seeing a lack of transparency. We're seeing that in Nevada as well, where the caucus volunteers and staff were actually asked to sign non-disclosure agreements and, and asked hmm. specifically not to speak to the press, even on background. And then in addition to that, we're seeing another layer of technology in some of these elections that can add additional problems. We saw it was an app that clearly didn't work correctly. In New Hampshire, something that is less obvious to people is that the voting machines there that many of the towns are voting on are these scanners that are 25 years old and they're not doing any audits. The Secretary of State in New Hampshire has actually come out and said that he's opposed to audit as an unnecessary expenditure. So, I mean, oh imagine if you were driving a car that was 25 years old and you said, well, I don't want to do a checkup on this car. It's unnecessary. You know, I'll know when the car breaks down. <laughs> that's, basically, that's basically the position of the Nevada Secretary of State, that I spoke with a security expert, a computer science professor at the Institute of New Jersey Technology, who walked me through any number of things that can happen. We're not even talking about hacking, although that could be a problem, but just mechanical errors, the levers, uh, you, you, the you know actual mechanics of a machine of that age certainly can start to break down and, and they could be reporting the votes incorrectly. Possibly they might not be able to, uh, you know, pick up all of the dots that they're supposed to pick up if the mechanisms are breaking down, things like that. So we really don't know whether the votes are being counted correctly. When we have been able to check, for example, when the New York Times checked the math in Iowa, they saw that things were not being counted exactly correctly. What we want is a system that has more transparency and less technology so that we can have confidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So basically, uh, you know, when it's, uh, I mean, it's incredible that they don't do audits. I mean, you're in the Wild West. If something, you know, if something goes wrong. Um, you know, don't most of the states, I, I realize part of the problem is that, you know, this is a state-by-state -state thing, so it's idiosyncratic. So one state does this and one state does that. Um, you know, I mean, right now we're in a situation where all of this is being run at the primary level by this one uh, corporation uh, that is, you know, a company that is the Democratic Party, you know, which is actually a private, it's not a public entity, um, you know, but as, and then at the next stage, you know, the actual election, it goes over to something that is joint in that, you know, all parties are being, um, uh, you know, we're voting for all different parties, um, but, you uh, you know, but meanwhile, state by state by state, you can be finding something entirely different in every particular state. Um, you know, so, I mean, so there's just, it's kind of like we haven't solved the problem once and for all. Um, it's just, you know, 
it's a wild situation where some states may be better represented than others because of the fact that it's done at the state level. Now, perhaps you don't feel that actually, you know, there may be things that are good about having done at a state-by-state level, but it also means that each time we're facing something different. Um, you know, I'm curious about, I mean, in, in Nevada, we had a situation where I was kind of bracing myself um, for, you know, who knows what after happened, what happened in Iowa, but instead it was such an overwhelming uh, victory um, for uh, Bernie Sanders that, you know, in fact, it was kind of one and done pretty quickly there. Um, well, you know, were there anomalies the, there? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the problems is that the press moves on very quickly, and we don't have the mm-hmm. attention span to stay afterwards and look at the details of whether or not the results were accurate. So in Nevada, mm-hmm. there was a letter that Pete Buttigieg's campaign filed complaining. This is according to PBS, and mm-hmm. Buttigieg's campaign complained that they think there were mistakes in the results, and Buttigieg Mm -hmm. and Biden were in a very close contest at that point for the second place position. And so Mm -hmm. our organization, Smart Elections, has a project called Count the Vote, and what we're trying to do is assess and to monitor and assess the accuracy of the results. So we'll be Mm -hmm. trying to follow up and get a copy of that letter from the Buttigieg campaign and try to find out if, you know, it is possible to discern whether or not there were mistakes in the results. What we did Mm -hmm. in Iowa was we did a breakdown, a spreadsheet of the work of the math worksheets that had, that did get posted online. And for example, one of the things that we found there that was just strange was that there was this rounding up sometimes of, the number. So a candidate might have had like a 3.2 or a 4.4 that got rounded up to the next number, like 4.4 might have gotten rounded up to 5, and that candidate might have gotten awarded an extra delegate. And this is very strange to us. We found it in about a third of the cases. So it turns out we thought it was a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's the official way that the Iowa Democratic Party asks for the votes to be counted in the circumstances where there is one extra delegate. And so mm-hmm. I just say this to say that the, there are all these strange kind of challenging ways that the math is being done, which make it very, very hard for the average voter to follow along and understand exactly how the votes are being counted. And we think that's very problematic. We think that this should be a straightforward system that should be highly transparent it's basically one person, one vote, and people can understand the math and have confidence that it's correct. So this whole sort mm-hmm. of convoluted process where a, a partisan organization, the Iowa Democratic Party or the Democratic Party, is in control of who is counting the votes and has these complex procedures makes it very hard for the public to understand. And we think that that needs to change. How would that best change from your perspective? Mm -hmm. If you look at how other democracies are running their elections, really starting from the whole way that the election is administered, it's different. 
And Australia is a really good example of this. They have a commission there. It's a neutral, nonpartisan commission. It is a separate organization. It is not connected to any of the political parties. And in fact, they mandate when people are employed by that commission that they take a, that they, um, that they commit to being nonpartisan. That, that if you're going to work for the Australian Election Commission, you agree to be a nonpartisan employee. It doesn't mean that you can't mm-hmm. vote, that you can't participate politically, but officially you have a nonpartisan presence. And so that neutral election commission administers the elections there, and it gives people more confidence that the votes are being counted in a fair and objective way. We don't have that. Here in the U.S., all of our elections are run by partisan officials, whether it's the primaries, where the where the elections are often uh, administered by the Democrats or the Republicans, or in in the general elections, where you have you have a, a partisan position. Usually, it's the Secretary of State, which is elected, either a Democrat or Republican, overseeing all of the elections in the state as a whole. And we've actually had cases like Georgia, where the Secretary of State was actually running for governor, and so he was administering his own election. It's the ultimate conflict of interest. And Georgia was not the only state where that happened. There were actually three states where the Secretary of State was administering their own election for an office. And in two of the states, that candidate won. So we really need to back up and and work toward neutral administration of elections and more transparent administration of elections that are simpler and easier for the public to understand. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, what about the situation in Iowa where it was found that uh, the Democratic National Committee had actual access to the uh, voter results and, you know, they had an entree into the app? Um, Is that unusual? Could it potentially lead to manipulating the outcome? Um, You know, I mean, it's didn't sound good, but maybe it was, you know, kind of routine thing that that happens? Is it a routine good thing or a routine not-so-good thing? Well, didn't they, I mean, the Democratic National Party, it's the Democratic National Party of Iowa that's running the entire primary in Iowa. So, I mean, they're the ones, I, I believe, who would have, you know, decided to use that app to begin with. So, of course, they would have access to the information in that app. I no, think. no, it the was whole, the Democratic no? National Committee, Lulu, who uh, had access, not the Democratic Party of Iowa. Oh, I see. You know yeah. what, Allison, I didn't follow that detail, so I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I The whole okay. idea that a political party is running the election to begin with is a problem. So the fact that then the right. Democratic National Committee has access to the data, not surprising, the political party is running the election. It's just it's a right. conflict of interest any way that you break it down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I see what you're saying. And yet we kind of, it, it's like many things uh, where we actually, you know, know something is going on, but then for some reason we kind of normalize it and say, um, well, you know, this this must be okay somehow. Um, and, um, you know, no problem since it's happening, but actually what you're pointing out is that there is a problem. <laughs> um, there, there is a problem. What? And we, one of the things, like, in the, in, the blog that, in the blog post that I made on Iowa, and if people want to take a look at that, you can go to smartelections.us and 
the, and mm-hmm. under primary, pull down Iowa the math. And I wrote up a number of things on that blog. And one of them was a quote that we got from Pippa Norris, who is a Harvard professor. And she, uh, you know, and, and she said straight up that the, the parties running the political, the parties running elections, she said, quote unquote, it was a pure conflict of interest. Uh, the quote that we mm-hmm. have from her, in established democracies, there are normally election commissions with neutral and impartial professional civil servants. And she cited the UK, Norway, and Germany as examples of that, but there are many others. So we saw in 2016 that the DNC had its thumb on the scale, and that came out that there were multiple emails where they clearly expressed a, a bias for which candidate would win the election. That's not neutral administration elections. As you said, we know there's a problem. It's just addressing it. What is the means for addressing it, if there is one? I mean, ultimately, the federal government actually has more control over elections than they ever take or that they ever even acknowledge that they take. There are There mm-hmm. is an article in the Constitution that does give the federal government a lot of control over elections, but the mm-hmm. federal government always defers to the state. Uh, and there is also legislation in Congress. The best legislation was put forward by Ron Wyden and has been adopted into a, um, a bill called the SAFE Act. It's already passed the House. And if it were to pass mm-hmm. the Senate, it would make quite a few improvements in terms of mandating how elections need to be run. It would not take, it would not take control from the political parties, but it would put down quite a few more guidelines as to how those elections have to be run. But if Congress mm-hmm. chose to legislate that elections need to be administered by neutral commissions, they could do that. They would be able to do that because the Constitution does give a good deal of authority, actually, to Congress in order to legislate the, the way that elections are run. So if they wanted mm-hmm. to mandate that they have to be run by neutral administrators, they certainly could do that. Mhm. Mhm. Um, well, that that's that's kind of hopeful. If you know we can get through this next election, um, and you know have a, a real change of government, maybe something can happen in that regard. Um, what are you know? I think that, forward to. Yeah. Go ahead. I think that all of the Democratic candidates do have at least some part of their platform dedicated to improving the election. Elizabeth Warren, I believe, has come out with the most comprehensive platform in terms of improving elections, but Amy Klobuchar has also done a lot of good work on election security and has put forward some of the best legislation in Congress for election security. So she's also been a real advocate, although Mm -hmm. she refuses to say hand-marked paper ballots when she talks about what's needed. Uh, and it's something that people have complained about. One of, most computer scientists now feel that hand-marked paper ballots are the most secure way for us to vote. That it's the most secure way that we that we know of right now is to vote on hand-marked paper ballots and to have secure ballot marking devices for voters who aren't able to mark their ballots by hand. And unfortunately, there's not that much money in producing hand-marked paper ballots, and so a lot of technology is being developed. Because and it's very expensive technology because there's money to be made selling that expensive technology to states and jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, there's, again, 
yet another situation in which we kind of have something that should be neutral, handled righteously in a fair manner, you know, for all people. Instead, it becomes distorted and even um, not able to fulfill its real purpose successfully or economically. And in this case, you're pointing out that it would be, you know, more economical to do the safer thing. Uh, But instead, we have the intrusion of someone's need to make a buck off it. Uh, as we see in healthcare and in energy policy, you know, in food and a whole bunch of things, there are far simpler and more self-evident ways to do things that, you know, that don't, um, but, you know, but they don't bring in that profit. And so everyone is trying to kind of add their own layer and make a buck. And unfortunately, they're actually diminishing the achievement of the, of the basic purpose, which is getting a secure vote. In terms of looking forward to, um, you know, the, the Super Tuesday vote, I mean, we have South Carolina before that, um, but, you know, there are a whole bunch of states and several very large ones that could be decisive, uh, such as California and Texas coming up on Super Tuesday. Um, you know, are there any kind of uh, pitfalls or concerns that you're seeing looking ahead to those Uh, that vote in those states? There are certainly pitfalls, and they are pitfalls that we know about already. So, for example, Los Angeles, one of the, in fact, the largest jurisdiction in the country, is moving to an all-ballot-marking device system. And they have millions of voters there who are going to vote for the first time on these systems. There are touchscreen systems and the votes are counted with a QR code. So that means that oh, even though the, mm-hmm. the system prints out a, a piece of paper that has a list of the candidates that you voted for or that you think you voted for, it, that it thinks you voted for in English or whatever language you voted in, that's not what gets counted. What gets counted is a QR code that's at the top of the ballot, and if that QR code is not accurate for some reason, if the reader for the QR code, for example, gets hacked to read differently, uh, which certainly could happen, or if the QR code itself gets hacked in some way, then the votes will not be counted accurately, and probably there will be very little way of knowing that. The um, California does have a 1% audit, mandatory audit, but whether or not that would be enough to catch an actual problem with the QR codes, I think is highly doubtful. Most uh, most uh, experts, expert opinions that I've read, for example, uh, Philip Stark, who is uh, the developer of the risk limiting audit, and other people like J. Alex Halderman have said that a flat percentage audit is not adequate to determine if there is manipulation of an election. And LA isn't the only county that is using equipment that has potential security problems. Many, many counties across the state have adopted new technology, these new ballot marking devices that are printing with, are counting with QR codes or barcodes. I believe that South Carolina has moved to an all ballot marking device system. There was actually an article in the AP where he went through uh, how many different states have adopted these new ballot marking systems. Uh, It includes, let me see if I can pull this one up. Um, South Carolina, uh, there are um, 
certainly counties in New York that have adopted this, a Dominion ICE machine, which uh, it doesn't count with the barcode, but it does have a very, very security vulnerability. Dallas County, Texas. Oh, the, I'm sorry, he's listing those advisory board positions. Um, there are just there's states all over the country that are using these new ballot marking devices. And in addition to that, there's the security problems that we know historically have been in place. Counties that are using direct record electronic equipment, like uh, Louisiana, uh, just bought a whole new set of voting machines that doesn't use paper ballots at all. And so there are the, the historical problems with the equipment, and then there are new technologies coming on board that have problems that we don't even know yet, uh, you know, how, how those problems are going to play out. There's also many, many states that are adopting electronic poll books now. Those poll books are usually connected to the Internet. Whether or not they're going to experience problems, um, denial of service attacks, or, you know, just problems uh, with malware, having them, you know, not be able to report who's registered to vote correctly. There are just so many different technology problems that we could be encountering in the upcoming election. So, you know, this is this kind of entrancement with the technology and everybody's trying a different kind of thing, uh, and then we're going to have the situation. Is there any, you know, where we find out uh, what the problem might be? Um, you know, is there any backup system so that, you know, if any of these proves faulty, you're not left at the end of the day going, I don't know what happens, too bad about your vote, there's no way to trace this? I mean, is that kind of going with the territory where, uh, you know, in fact, because that seems, you know, in such a an important election, that seems really, you know, troubling. It is troubling. I did find the list. Uh, this was from the AP article that came out recently. Pivotal counties in the crucial states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and North Carolina have bought these new ballot marking mm -hmm. machines. So have counties in much of Texas, California's L.A. that we talked about, all of Georgia, Delaware, and South Carolina. So those are just some of the states that have the new technology that they're, that they're trying out for the first time this year. I think that what voters can do is that they can pay attention. They can sign up to be uh, poll workers so that they're there and that they can observe things more carefully. They can certainly sign up for our Count the Vote initiative. If you go to our website, uh, smartelections.us, and just uh, click on the uh, the email at the bottom of our, part, of our front page where it says get involved uh, and shoot us an email, uh, then we'll get you on our list so that you can start to participate. And what we're doing with the Count the Vote initiative is we're trying to take photographs of poll tapes and then compare those to election results all over the country. And we're also going to mm -hmm. be doing digital ballot image requests so that we can actually see the digital ballot images. Uh, and try to check sometimes if those are counted correctly. And we're also, we've developed a survey that we are going to be asking poll workers to fill out to try to identify if there are problems. So to the best of our ability, you know, even though we are, it's a small pilot project, we are asking people to get involved and help us to monitor the accuracy of the elections. That's what we all need to do. We need to pay attention. And if there's problems, we need to try to let somebody know. Um, is the poll worker a, is that a volunteer from your outfit or is it actually a hired local government position that you interface with? How does that work? 
Poll workers are the people who actually run the poll. So when you sign up to be a poll worker, you sign up, you know, with your local jurisdiction to volunteer. Mm -hmm. Usually it's either volunteers. A lot of times people get paid a certain amount, you know, like jury duty, you get paid a certain amount per day to work the polls. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually it's a long day. I know people start at 5 in the morning sometimes and work all day. So it can be a little bit brutal in terms of the schedule. And you're there signing people in, helping them navigate the whole process. But those are also people who are often very well informed about what's happening, and they may be the first people to be aware if there's a problem, if a voting machine seems to somehow not be functioning correctly, or if there are lines accumulating because the electronic poll books somehow aren't working correctly. So that's one of the reasons that we're targeting poll workers for our survey is that we think they may be able to tell us if there are problems. Hmm. So you're actually, um, you're, the, the local governments are cooperating with you whereby, you know, you can actually reach out and connect with your poll workers and they're not, you know, they're allowing that and they're fine with it and, and that's going to be happening in selective locations or? Well, this is a pilot program, and we're just in the process of trying to work these details out. So one of the, mm -hmm. we initially developed the survey, actually, for the caucuses, and we thought maybe people who are participating in the caucuses would be interested in filling out the surveys. And we're going to be doing that in Wyoming also. We'll, uh, we have the surveys developed now, and we'll try to get people to participate in the caucus to fill out the survey. We found, though, with mm -hmm. the caucuses that there was a real hesitancy at self-observation, right, that you've seen mm -hmm. the people uh, who are running the caucuses like the Democratic Party discouraging people from talking to the media, discouraging people from getting information. They, Like in Nevada, they had them sign the non-disclosure agreement. And so because of that, we're, we're switching our strategy a little bit and we're saying, okay, well, who could we ask to fill out the survey? So the uh, you know, in our latest brainstorming session, the idea that we generated was let's, let's explore asking poll workers to fill out a survey and see if that helps us get more accurate information about what's happening. We have to somehow mm -hmm. find out how to monitor and assess the accuracy of our elections because they're not being audited mm -hmm. for the most part, and we know that we have a lot of problems. So the question is, how are we going to do that? We're a very small organization, but we are doing our best to try out different ways that to monitor and assess the accuracy of the election. And we're, we're also working with a group called Democracy Counts that has developed this app, as I said, to take photographs of poll tapes. And that is one way historically where problems have been discovered when you can compare the actual poll tape from a voting machine or from a, from a poll location with the certified results that get posted. If, for example, there's a difference there, then you can be alerted that there may have been a problem with the tabulation. So that is one thing that mm -hmm. was uh, that was how mistakes were found in an election in Memphis, Tennessee, and it was one way that mistakes were found in an election in Georgia. And so that's one reason that we are trying to get people to sign up to take those photographs of the poll tape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting. That makes that makes a lot of uh, sense. I mean, in Iowa, uh, Bernie's uh, you know people on the spot were actually compiling their own separate set of results, uh, which, you know, of course they had every reason to do that because, you know, it could be visibly uh, noticeable in a room, you know, that they had a large group 
um, which is, you know, and many um, of the other lower polling candidates did not make the cut, you know, to even participate. They didn't have enough people actually show up to caucus for them. Um, so the Sanders group was collecting that information, and it became helpful, I think, um, in, you know, kind of, I, I don't believe there's been a final assessment at this point. I'm not aware of one in Iowa in terms of what the actual outcome was. I mean, they still don't know to this day, but they kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, maybe I just missed it, um, but, you know, they were actually kind of double-checking. But that's possible since it's a, it's a caucus, right? Um, but it isn't otherwise very easy to do. Um, I mean, do they actually ever get the actual Iowa results? I mean, have those been finally determined after all this time? I don't know that they're ever going to get the results. The New York Times article was reporting that about 10% of the precincts that they examined had actual errors, math errors, uh, errors in the number of delegates awarded, uh, somehow errors in the number of people who even seem to be participating, where the number of votes in the second alignment increased over the first alignment. You're not mm -hmm. supposed to have that. You have a number of people who come in. So maybe more people were just, like, coming in, coming in late, and just adding into the vote. But you're not supposed to have more people in the second alignment than the first alignment. So you don't even know how to count that. How does that actually affect the total if all of a sudden people are piling in late? So I don't – and then apparently the Iowa Democratic Party said that even if the math worksheets are wrong, even if the math on them is wrong, they will not change them because they're calling those legal documents that cannot be changed. So, I mean, I've never heard that. I've never heard, um, you know – a county that was tabulating votes when they went back and audited them and said, okay, we know it was added wrong, but we're not going to change it because it's a legal document the way we added it up the first time. So I think some of the positions that are being staked out here are pretty problematic, and I don't think that we're ever going to know exactly who won the Iowa caucus. I'm not sure it matters. I think most of the candidates have moved on at this point. It's not actually that large mm -hmm. number of delegates that they're squabbling over in Iowa. I think it was more mm -hmm. a sense of front-runner status, like who actually won. It was kind of bragging rights, and I think they've moved on because there's so many other primaries and caucuses that are happening now. It just that, that bragging rights position, I think, has lost a lot of its value. So mm -hmm. I think what we're left with is a, is a process that is flawed. And one of the good things about it is that we've been able to see the flaws. And even though it made everybody really uncomfortable and everybody was like, oh, my God, I was such a mess, at least it's mm -hmm. out in the open. Previously, probably mm -hmm. all of this was going on, but they never reported all of these different pieces of information in the past. They just reported basically the delegate number, I think, of each precinct. It was much less reporting mm -hmm. of kind of this background information. So now, even though it seems really messy, we're able to go, oh, look at this. And, and it's transparent, and that's good. But we don't have that same level of transparency when we're talking about the voting machines because we don't know what happens inside those voting machines because the software is proprietary and most of the systems are not being audited. And some of the systems are constructed in such a way that even if you did audit them, you wouldn't have confidence. 
because either the machines themselves have design flaws where the, the voting machine can actually print on the paper ballot if it has malware on it. That's it in many of the new voting systems. The paper ballot runs back under the printer head. In that case, if there was hmm. malware on the machine and it printed new votes on the ballot, you would have a paper ballot that actually did not reflect the intent of the voter. So you have voting machines that have serious design problems. That includes L.A. and many of these other new states that I read out that have bought these new mm -hmm. voting machines. You also have voting machines that still are not collecting any paper ballot at all, like the new machines in Louisiana and other direct record electronic machines that historically have not had paper for years. And then you also have jurisdictions, many, many jurisdictions that have hand-marked paper ballots and scanners, but they're not doing audits. So you actually have no way of knowing if the scanner has been hacked or has mechanical errors that could be counting incorrectly. So in Iowa, at least we have the transparency. You can see the math worksheet. It's on paper. If the Iowa Democratic Party would release all of those worksheets and put them online, we'd be able to see them and we would all be able to know. Candidates and concerned citizens could go through and count the results themselves. With the machines that mm -hmm. we're using, the way that we're using them now, we don't have that transparency. We actually have very, very, um, very few ways of assessing whether or not the results are accurate. And even though it seems easier, it's smoother, they just report the results and everybody goes, oh, those are the results. We don't mm. actually have the level of information that we need in order to have confidence. You know, there's a problem there. Um, that, that's a huge problem. I mean, on the face of it, I think it's pretty obvious why it's a problem. Um, that means that, you know, there is jockeying for position and you know, uh, erasing what happened or, you know, all kinds of things could go on with that. But the other problem is with these vulnerable machines uh, and a president like Donald Trump, um, you know, there has been some concern that people have expressed that, you know, he might uh, refuse to honor the elections, <laughs> you know, um, in order to remain in office potentially. Um, you know, and, and there are some people who are worried about that. Um, I don't know how serious a concern that is, actually. I can't really assess that, but I, I'm aware of that. Um, you know, so if there is um, a lot of these uh, uh, areas for, you know, there's both lack of transparency, there's no backup, uh, there's no way to verify, the, the technology is new, um, the parties administering it or uh, self-interested in some way, um, you know, this kind of opens up the door, um, you know, for, you know, for somebody to dispute even, you know, a result that seems to be what the voters intended. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's worrisome, and I know that many people are worried about it. Will results of the election be respected, especially by someone mm -hmm. like Donald Trump, who has repeatedly said that he is worried that the election results are rigged. So it's really, there's a tension there as to whether or not looking at the problems of the election undermines the confidence that people have in the results of the election. and. 
Right. Historically, it's historically been something that media outlets and election officials have really gone overboard in not discussing this because for that very reason, many media outlets have been absolutely have been more than reluctant, have really refused to look at these issues. And election officials have said over and over again, you can have complete confidence in the results, even though that's a, it's really just a, it's sort of a, a false promise in many cases. They made statements like that over and over again because they don't want to undermine the confidence and they don't want voters to be concerned and they're worried that people won't come out and vote if they think that the results might not be accurate. But the mm-hmm. really, there is no way to address a problem that, uh, that, that is not named and understood. There is no way for us to repair our elections until we fully understand and acknowledge the ways in which they are broken. And right now, our elections are broken. We have very low voter confidence, and we have, you know, people, as you said, like the president, who may be able to say, I don't know if I lost because it was rigged. So it's really, to me, it's almost sort of like those, I guess kind of the the theories where people really can't improve their lives until they hit rock bottom. You know, an alcoholic, they say, really can't begin to repair their life until they acknowledge that they're an alcoholic and start to look at it in detail. I think our elections are like that in many ways, unless we're going to really take a deep look and say, these are the problems with our elections. And it's not just security, you know. I mean, one of the things that Smart Elections, which is the organization that I co-founded, is really uh, is really committed to is looking at, at a wide spectrum of issues. That includes voting rights, disability rights, anti-corruption, meaning the influence of money on politics, the redistricting mm-hmm. problems that we have with gerrymandering, the problems with the electoral college, like uh, where you have the national popular vote, so trying to remedy that other options uh, that may help us have more fair elections, like ranked choice voting and, of course, security, which is the issue that we spend the most time on uh, because that's our area of expertise. But all of these are ways in which our elections themselves are problematic and need repair. And once we actually look at those problems collectively as a country, one of our missions with Smart Elections is to elevate election reform to an urgent national priority It means something that people understand needs resources and time and energy spent on it in the same way that we understand that the climate crisis needs energy and time and thought expended on it. Our election needs that kind of focus. It needs to be a top issue that we discuss at debates, that we talk about with our families, that we say, hey, our elections are in disrepair. We need to do this and this and this to really pull ourselves into the 21st century and have um, fair elections that, that all eligible voters can participate in and participate in with confidence. And in the meantime, in terms of 2020, I think all that we can do, as I said, what we're doing uh, is to try to help people in whatever small way they can monitor the elections, assess whether or not we think they're accurate, and if we think they're not accurate, Get that out into public view so that it can be 
discuss, and hopefully remedy. So do what you can. Get in touch with your own local election officials and say, what can I do? Can I volunteer? Can I work as a poll worker? Can I be an election observer? Even get involved with a candidate so that you can be an observer for that candidate in the elections, and you can start to understand what's happening in your local elections. And please do sign up for our uh, initiative, Count the Vote, and help us do that. And, and we can also offer you resources and training. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Are you going to be doing any poll worker work in uh, New York City? Yeah, I think that we will. We're trying to we're trying to do the Count the Vote initiative in as many locations as we can. It really depends on how many people sign up to help. If there's enough people who sign up in New York to help us out, then yeah, we will try to do monitoring here. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny uh, because you know there's uh, a, a completely different story I'm reporting on and. You know, working at some of the networks, you may not agree with this, but I really found the recent remarks um, uh, uh, by both uh, Chuck Todd and you know uh, and uh, his cohort there really off. You know, Chris Matthews. I mean, I, I just I felt like it's one thing. You know, we deviated in so many directions, so far away from news and actual reporting to opinion, uh, subjective impression. Uh, and politicizing, you know, on, you know, across the mainstream media, and then to cross the line further and, you know, kind of uh, really speak uh, very inappropriately of any candidate, no less uh, a front runner, uh, comparing them, you know, comparing him and his supporters to Nazis, I felt was really crossing an ethical line. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we have the dilemma that with Trump in office, you don't want to criticize media and give him entree, and at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any self-policing mechanism um, as the public conversation, you know, continues to degenerate. Um, so, you know, and there is this thing, like, if you call it out and say it's broken, maybe it can be improved and fixed, and on the other hand, you know, everybody's kind of hunkering down where they are and sort of trying to ignore it. Um, so... Uh, it's kind of a, a, you know, to me, it, it sounds almost like, you know, a structural problem that's showing up in different ways and in different sectors. Um, you know, uh, do you have any thought or comment on that? You may not want to go there, but I just couldn't help thinking of it. Because that's just what I've been mulling on with this other thing. Uh, but I'd love to hear what your take hmm? There are very few media outlets that I actually consider neutral. I think PBS mm -hmm. is one. I listen to mm -hmm. the PBS news hour now. I find it to be very informative. They were the ones that covered the fact that Buttigieg had complained about the results in Nevada. And I'm just, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to think of any other news outlet that I think is actually reporting neutrally. What I wind up doing is I listen to a, or look at multiple news outlets. The Intercept is very much in Sanders' court, so if you read news from there, you will hear all the bad things about the other candidates, and you'll hear all the good things about Bernie. Um, the mainstream media, I think, is really kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for a moderate candidate that they can support, that they can jump in. 
They will consistently say, well, we're going to have a contested election. What's going to happen if Sanders wins? Like, will America really accept a socialist? There's all kinds of sort of underhanded ways that they undermine Sanders' candidacy. They certainly are not embracing him the way that they embraced Hillary, even when she had much less actual support. So I do think that the mainstream media, although I don't think they've coalesced around a particular Democratic candidate, is uh, they, there is, I think, still a sort of uh, an undercurrent of opposition to the more progressive candidates there. Um, obviously, Fox News is in Trump's corner and is reporting basically as a branch of the Republican National Committee, as they have been for years. So I find yeah. the best thing to do is to shop around. I do think that Vox actually has done some very good reporting. They've done, rather than make an endorsement, they've done a series where they have put forward the each of, they've written an article about the best qualities of each of the Democratic main contenders. And that I found to be very interesting, an interesting way to approach it. And I think Vox in general is an outlet that has done some very good in-depth reporting, I, and it, it's very reliable. So I do turn to them. Mm. Thank you. That's an interesting, interesting uh, take. Um, it, yeah, I mean, all of these different things are, are kind of coming more to the fore as we are in, you know, a critical situation. Um, that, you know, I think more and more people understand can't be taken for granted. Uh, you know, we can't take for granted that we have safe elections, that we have fair reporting, that we have, um, uh, you know, even a president who would, you know, will leave his post if he, you know, if the vote goes that way. Um, so, you know, and it, it kind of uh, throws people for a loop. So I think it's really important to track it and know what's happening um, and you know and I, and I do find that you know having kind of featured you covering this issue over a number of years um, you know there are many areas of our society where people are, have gone along on trust um, and the trust you know hasn't necessarily you know we don't have the right outcomes and we you know kind of have a devolving situation on on a number of different fronts um, so, you know, we don't want people dropping out and becoming cynical, as you said, and not voting. Um, but on the other hand, we have to fix some of these problems. And in a time of crisis, you know, or impending crisis, because um, we certainly have a lot of crises that keep popping, um, you know, it's, it's kind of natural for people to hunker down um, rather than, than, you know, it takes more energy and focus and motivation to fix it. Um, but that's also, I mean, one of, to me, one of the most important things about Sanders is that the younger generation is involved, and they have the energy and, and motivation um, where it seems many older people, you know, don't so much because it just takes, takes more out of, of them uh, at a time of life when energy isn't as, you know, as potent as it is for young people. So I think that. The, the kind of will of the young is, is a very helpful thing. And also they, they seem much more engaged, involved, and knowledgeable in many ways um, than, you know, my own cohort is, for example. Um, 
Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'll actually confess right now, and I don't know what will happen in the upcoming primary or election, but I am myself a trained uh, election worker. Um, (laughs) Because of your influence and, you know, looking at all these things, I thought it would really be important and interesting um, to serve in that way and kind of see, um, you know, what it looks like from the the behind-the-table perspective. And, uh, you know, I hope that uh, you do uh, instigate uh, more dialogue and surveying of, you know, poll workers in New York. And I I haven't yet been assigned to anything, so I don't know if that's upcoming or not, but I will definitely keep in touch with you about that. Um, You know, we've been talking today with you. Yeah. I'm so excited. That's really exciting for me to know that I influenced you to become a poll worker, first off. That's really nice. And secondly, <laughs> I'm excited that you're doing that, and hopefully you'll fill out our poll worker survey. So that's, well, well, that's, that's really exciting. Okay. That's great. That's really exciting, and I look forward to talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I guess the last your election, story. and you're right, it, it, it is a super long day. It's an incredibly long day. I think it was a, I don't know, a, oh, my God, it was like a, a, a 19-hour day or something. It was a really long day. Oh, my day. God. Um, but I actually, um, you know, I, I, I developed a great liking uh, for, you know, the, the people who were doing it, many of whom had been doing it. Obviously, I was a newbie. Um, but I, 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 I just developed a lot of respect for the co-workers and really liked the people who do it because there is a public spiritedness to it, um, and it's super fun to be more kind of intimately involved with mechanisms of the election. I really enjoyed that. So we'll talk about that, and hopefully I'll get assigned, and then I can take your survey. Um, thank you for being with us today on Connected Dots. We will freeze that. Um, and your website is Smart Elections. Is, is that where people can go and, and read more and track all of this? Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, smart, we'll have to... SmartElections.us is our website, and if you want to shoot me an email, you can shoot me an email at contact at SmartElections.us. And especially if you want to get involved in the Count the Vote project, the fastest way to do it is to send us an email at at contact at SmartElections.us and just put Count the Vote in the subject or in the body just say, I want to get involved with Count the Vote, because then that doesn't go through our email list or anything. It comes straight to me, and we can pull you in right away. So contact oh, smartelections.us and just click count the vote in the subject line. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Lulu Freistat, L-U-L-U-F-R-I-E-S-D-A-T. Cool. Terrific. Um, thank you. That's great. And, you know, I certainly suspect that if, you know, we can get your attention, that, you, that you know, we will need to have you back on the show at some point uh, in, the, in the coming year. I just, you know, it's just a wild guess. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I thank you, given all the hats you wear and all the things you do, uh, in addition to what we're talking about today and, and doing this as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, and it's always a pleasure to learn more and discuss more, and uh, thank you for the important work you're doing. Uh, And I hope listeners will um, get involved and support that. Um, If you've enjoyed this edition of Connect the Dots, please share it on social media. The show uh, is live at 10 a.m. Wednesdays and then available in our archives, Connect the Dots, 
www.podbean, like P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, and uh, you can share, you can go there, listen to the show later, uh, share it with friends, put it on Twitter, um, you know, whatever you choose. I think it's, you know, it's really important, and I think more people, I bet we'll get a lot more hits on this show, too, because I think people are becoming more and more aware of how important honest elections are. Um, so thank you, Lulu, and thank you, listeners, for being with us on this edition of Connect the Dots. I'm Allison Rose-Levy. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. Heads tall, keep marching forward in company with all our relations. <laughs>